Welcome to People's Church Podcast. Heard a story about a first grader who asked uh, his mother, very simple question, not really a simple question, where did I come from? Well, the mother, she takes a deep breath and she goes into a detailed, explicit explanation of the reproductive organs, conception, and birth. After about 30 minutes, the bored first grader said, oh, Jimmy comes from San Diego. (laughs) The mother said, I had the sinking feeling I was asking the wrong question. A lot of people in life are asking the wrong questions about life, but I think one of the basic questions we visit at some time in our lives is the one we're gonna cover today. What is the meaning of life? And we're gonna be basing it out of Ecclesiastes, uh, you might call it the philosopher's book. And it is an incredible kind of book to read. I would encourage you to do it. Uh, You can read it in a version that's a little more friendly to the understanding of it. Uh, I'd recommend the message just for reading it. It's It's a great way to read that particular book. In Ecclesiastes 7.24, it says this. How can anyone discover what life means? How can you actually discover what life means? Life is something that for a lot of people is a very difficult discovery. Solomon is the writer here, the son of David, the wisest man that has ever written. And uh, there's an author that has actually written down his teachings on this. And then at the end, we get the summation of the author of everything that is written in the book of Ecclesiastes. It is a book of questions. It's a book that says, uh, why this? Why is it that way? Why, why, why does that have to happen? And we're going to be looking at some of those over, the, over these weeks as we uh, use the book of Ecclesiastes for the jump off point for it. You know, if you don't understand uh, what the purpose of life is, if you don't get the point of life, there's going to be basically several things that are going to happen for you. And we are all recorded in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. And first, if you don't get the point of life, what it's really about, life is going to seem pretty useless. It just seems like, what is the use? Uh, You might have actually had people say that. You may have stated that question yourself. What is the use? You might have put it within the context of fighting for something, like a relationship or something. What is the use? I had a guy tell me that this week. What is the use? What is the use? So this is, this is a question that comes out of this frustration of what is the point of this whole deal? I mean, what is the point? Listen to the scriptures on that. Ecclesiastes chapter two, it says, or chapter one, verse two, it says, it is useless, useless, said the philosopher. Life is useless, all useless. You spend your life working, laboring, and what do you have to show for it? Generations come and generations go but the world stays the same. It's just saying it's empty. It's another way of just saying, why not just sleep in? Why not just, you know, take, take a cruise on life and, and uh, detach and disconnect and whatever happens, happens. Why have any kind of purpose of all, at all? It just seems all rather useless. It's, it's empty. And a lot of people get that kind of question going on in their life. You might be facing that kind of thing in some area of your life. It's just useless. It's just useless. I can't control this. I can't do that. I can't make a difference here. You are basically asking a basic core question that uh, you haven't got the answer for. What is the meaning of life? What is the point of life? If you get that sorted out, 
then you can deal with the philosopher's questions when he says things like, why? Why in the world would I continue to do this? It just seems all useless. Second thing that it can be is that it can seem very tiresome. We find it in the very same chapter and in uh, verses five through eight. The sun still rises and it still goes down, going wearily back to where it must start all over again. The wind blows south, the wind blows north, round and round and back again. Every river flows into the sea, but the sea is not yet full. The water returns to where the rivers began and starts all over again. Everything leads to weariness, a weariness too great for words. Our eyes can never see enough to be satisfied. Our ears can never hear enough. He's basically speaking about that life is just as one cycle. It's just repeated. I mean, don't you get bored? I mean, every day starts the same, comes up. Sun's going to set, going to go down. You're going to have the, the evaporation from the oceans. The water's going to come up. It's going to land on the, rain, on the ground, and it's going to find its way to the rivers, and it's going to end up right back. He's saying everything about me, around me, is just cycles. And, he, and he's basically saying it's just tiresome. Another way to put it, it's just boring. It's just boring. It doesn't hold any adventure for me. I mean, what, I, I, I want my heart to beat fast about things. I want to be a kind of a person that's just passionate about what's going on in my life. But frankly, life's just getting more boring the every day that I kind of live. You know, it's kind of interesting that people go through those kinds of things and, and they look at the cycles of life and it can be really boring until something happens. And it's really, really usually something like, boy, you know, they just got a bad diagnosis or someone they loved it. And all of a sudden they dig in and they realize how valuable some of the things around them are. But frankly, a lot of us are just caught in that boredom cycle and we're lacking the adventure. A lot of that is just coming back. You haven't discovered what the point of life is. Once you know what the point of life is, once you understand the meaning of life, you don't get bored unless you choose to get bored. Uh, another one is it's going to seem unfulfill unfulfilling. The, the idea of there's, there's a lack of satisfaction. Whatever I do, whatever my accomplishments, it just doesn't, it's not enough. It just doesn't fill the tank. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. There's just a restlessness. There's just a restlessness. Um, they, they did a study and uh, the average person is going to change channels on the TV about four to 500,000 times in their lifetime. How's that? That's called a thumb workout, right? Just, and you just kind of, you're working out your thumb really good there. That's what a lot of people's lives break down to again, is simply this sense of unfulfilling. And, uh, and we find that in this scripture, uh, when he's talking about this, and it says in, in uh, Ecclesiastes 1, 8 through 10, everything leads to weariness, a weariness too great for words, our eyes can never see enough. You see it? It's just going to happen again. It's just going to go through it again. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to, you know, go into relationships because I just know it's going to be the same thing. Well, unless you change things, unless you uh, get in tune with what is the point of life, yeah, you're going to just repeat the same cycles. How do you break cycles like that? How do you make relationships fresh? How do you get new starts? You realize what is the point of life? What is the point of life? What is the point of being alive today? Why take another breath? What is the purpose of this day? What is the reason that you want to exercise your energies towards what today? What, what is going to be the reason or the meaning for that? 
There's another thing that happens when we don't get the point of life and it's, it's it just life is going to seem insignificant. Oh, it's just insignificant. Uh, it, it, when you don't know the purpose of it, when you're not in touch with what is the point of this whole deal. And so then what happens is that you, you begin to realize that there's nothing that is of significance that you have put your hand to. And you feel that what you're doing, what is the significance of what I'm doing? I do this, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't change anything much. What I'm doing is not making any great difference in this world or difference in my family or difference in me. That's the way that is often felt when we don't know the point of life. Uh, most of you have probably visited places where the names of famous people are on buildings. We've got some in Grand Prairie. We've got streets in Grand Prairie. We've, uh, you know, whenever you visit anywhere, there's going to be a museum named after this person or something named after this person. And, and that, that seems like it's really significant. But then you ask, do you know who that was? Not a clue. Not a clue. It's on the building. I don't have any idea who they are. Significance, if we don't really know the point of life, doesn't come from those kinds of things. A well-known name now is not a well-known name tomorrow. It's forgotten. You don't know who were the headliners a hundred years ago much. And the further we go back, you won't know the headliners. So insignificance, listen to this scripture. No one remembers what has happened in the past. And no one in days to come will remember what happens between now and then. That can really give that sort of, wow, what is, this just isn't almost worth doing. It's just insignificant. A fifth one that happens, we find that the philosopher is throwing out to us, is that it, life can seem very uncontrollable. It just seems uncontrollable. When we don't know, know the point of life, life will seem uncontrollable. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1.15, you can't straighten out what is crooked. You can't count things that aren't there. Have you ever tried to straighten out, you know, something that's just not right? Let's say, how many here have a teenage kid? <laughs> have you ever tried to straighten out a teenage kid? How many here are married to a husband? <laughs> have you ever tried to straighten them out? I mean, trying to straighten things out, you realize how it's just, I don't have control over these things. I can't straighten out anything. Uh, you can't straighten out what is crooked. You can't, you can't change a lot of things around you. You don't have the power to do so. So what is the point of life? What is the point of all this? If I have no control over anything like this, if I can't take, you know, something from the start to the finish because I don't have control of all the dynamics in between, what is the point of even starting? You could apply that to the day. Why would I start this? So what is the point of life? Well, we have to go to exactly where Brenda went. She went to the exactly the right place. And boy, that, he really put you on the spot if he did. If he didn't give you any lead on that one, Brenda, I'd punch him. But what is the point of life? Jesus brings it out in Ephesians 1, 4 to 5. Long ago, even before he made the world, God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. He decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered with his love. 
His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this because he wanted to. To discover the point of life or the meaning of life, you don't start within time and space. You start before this ever existed. In the one who started it and thought about it and created everything around you and in fact created you. The Bible teaches us very clearly that you were in the mind of God long, God long before the earth was even, foundations were ever set. It's saying that you've always been known. You've always been planned. There's always been purpose. There's always been that for each and every one of us. It doesn't mean that purpose is always carried out because we often don't accept where that purpose comes from. It begins in eternity. And it ends in eternity. This little blip is like just like a centimeter on a yardstick, you know? It's just like, it's, it's nothing. This time that you live, the Bible tells us, is just like grass, one day it's here, next day it's not here. It, it's gonna wilt, it's gonna just blow away, it's gone. I had some brown patches on my lawn now because I left some plastic cover on there during the heat wave, and then when I lifted it, oh, killed that. That's just part of just how things work. So when it comes to eternity, you've got to start there. This little space in time, this is just kind of the point at which we get to decide, are we going to live out what we've been called to? Are we going to live for the way that we've been created? Are we going to live with the plan of God in mind? Are we starting with God? Christ, it says, is all about God's love for us, that we are absolutely been created that he would love us. He loves us. You were, you were created to actually be loved by God. And then he brings it even more clear. He says, and he did this so that he can bring you into his own family. Jesus is about an adoption process. He is the one that has created this adoption process where God can adopt you into his family and you can then be blended with his eternal life. Think about that. This is all a plan. This is all purpose. And if you don't get that, if you don't get the idea that you come from somewhere, then you end up in a place of thinking that says, you know what? Uh, I've, I'm just somebody who's just an accident in this world. I'm somebody who has just kind of discovered that, uh, you know, uh, I got to try and discover a meaning or a purpose in this. A lot of people try and make up meaning. They do. They try and make up meaning in life. Uh, we're made to, we are, we are made to have something at the center. And that's why you constantly see people try to put something into the center. And if people don't have God at the center, then they're going to put something else there. And that can be anything from money to sports to just, just the idea of pleasure and leisure and work. Uh, you, you, here's this phrase. I'm into, what, how, do you, how do you fill in that blank? The, the fact is, is that they're just trying to fill their life with meaning, trying to find some kind of discovery, some central motivating force and core that gives them purpose and gives them value. People frantically try to find meaning in life, in fact. They, they really do. This is a big deal. This is why you'll see people pay a huge cost in pain, just trying to find some kind of meaning in life. This is a fallacy of what you and I and our generations have seen emerge for the last 150 years, which is really strong in humanism. The three greatest minds in Western civilization were Marx, Freud, and Darwin. 
All three of these guys said the very same thing. They really did. They just came from different disciplines. But they said the very same message. They all said, you came from nothing, you're going to nothing. How's that for a starting point? You came from nothing, you're going to nothing. I mean, that is, that is their message. Instead, you're just somebody that happened to come along. You're kind of a cosmic accident. And when you die, I mean, that's it. That's it. And then they try to go this way and they say, but while you're here on earth, your life has meaning and value and dignity. Based on what? If you're an accident, where is the basis for, for, for that kind of dignity? Where is the basis for that kind of value or meaning? I don't respect their intellectual uh, premise on this. You can't. A humanist one is saying, you basically are an accident, but boy, you really are valuable. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm here right now, but I do matter. Why do you matter? If there is no God and there's no eternity, there's no day of accounting that you actually have something of value that you have to account for. You see, accountability is a great word because it says you have something of value that must be measured. That's your soul, that's your life. So when we are, when they intellectually try to go here, I, it just, you can't even respect it. There's no value. They should have the intellectual gust to just admit that your life doesn't really matter if you're going to go that. You're just really a complex biological organism. There's no soul. There's no design. There's no designer. There's no beginning in the mind of God. There's just some sort of beginning and then there's an end and... And it's about that long. The Bible says differently. It says you don't have to make up that kind of meaning. It just doesn't work. Another way people try to fill their lives with meaning is, is just escape. Just, just, just escape the meaninglessness in a sense. Yeah, that can be anything from TV to shopping to uh, food to the typical sex drugs and so on. It could be movies. Ultimate escape often is suicide. By the way, this is an, this is an epidemic right now. We, we have so disrespect. We, we so devalue life that we are willing to actually take children that are still in the womb, yes, and abort them, and it's wrong. And we, we don't value life now in the aged or if we get too sick or we get the wrong kind of diagnosis, we don't value life. Because we don't come from the soul perspective. There's no soul in that womb from the humanist perspective. There is no soul there. There is no soul really in that person that there's no accountability. It's just quality of life. They can't do the escape stuff they used to do. And you wonder why this stuff continues to 
digress in our society. If you quit valuing life from God-ordained beginnings to God-ordained endings, then you end up in a place where you can continue to depress the value of life because there's no value to begin with other than what you can sneak or, or out of life that you think you can have those happy moments. When you read Ecclesiastes, and I hope you do, you will find that's where the philosopher is coming to. But you must read the last chapter. So what are the alternatives? You can try escape. Doesn't work. You can try it, just make up some meaning. It just doesn't work. To discover what real meaning is, he's actually told us. He really has. And, and it's a very powerful scripture that we've just read. And that scripture tells us that meaning comes literally from the love of God, the design of God, the existence of God being the foundation of your existence. And that out of his own existence and out of his great love for you, he has designed you and created you and you live in the moment of time he wants you and you have a living soul that he will have accountability for because you've been given the great gift of that living soul. And that soul it is invited into his eternal family to be a part of eternity with him. What an amazing thing. When you start to really get an idea of how valuable that makes you, you'll go, whoa. He thought of me before he even thought about the foundations of this world, before it was ever put in place. I was in his mind. So everything that followed from that point is about this time and this existence and the value of my soul, the value of that free will. In Ephesians 1.10 it says, and this was his purpose, that when the time is ripe, he will gather us all together for, from wherever we are, in heaven or on earth, to be with him in Christ forever. God planned you from forever, and he planned you for forever. Absolutely for forever. That's your call, that's your destiny, that's your opportunity. That's not just a baby you welcome into this world. That is a soul, a living soul with an opportunity called from forever, placed into this time in this moment with you and invited into the family, invited into the forever eternity of God. That is the plan for your children. When we make it anything less than that, we devalue them. I'm saying some strong things today because sometimes they just need to be said. What life is, is it's preparation for eternity, folks. The plan for you was in eternity. The plan for you is in eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. That's the living soul. He's saying, I put a piece of eternity in you. You've got, you've got a living soul, an eternal soul, a living eternal soul. It is a little piece of the gift of God that he put into you, every created person. And that's why we need that at that core because nothing will function at that core except for that union with God from our soul. And that's why Jesus came, because sin had desecrated our soul. It had desecrated the relationship with that we had with God. Sin had brought in the total disruption between that relationship with God and us. God knew that. 
He had always planned that your sovereign will would be validated with choice. And so you made your choice. We all have made our choices. Most of those choices probably would confirm that our soul is distanced from God. But he brings grace through Christ. Because he sent Christ, literally, to repair that broken relationship. And then as we read, make way for that eternal family that you, he are invited to be a part of. So how do I prepare? Well, I'm gonna give you four quick things. How do you prepare? Number one, get to know God. I mean, if he is the one that has, from the beginning, had you particularly in his mind, then it's very important that you get to know that God. By the way, that is the pursuit that is very big around the world. We, religion is the pursuit of God, but in the wrong way. It's man wanting to find their way to God. Christianity, relationship with God through Christ, is God finding his way to us. He found us. He comes to us. He's, he's the shepherd that goes, finds the lost sheep. He's the one that says, I'm coming to you. And that's the beauty of Jesus. John 1.12 says, but to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. Jesus made it so simple, you just need to make a decision of trust. He has made all the work his and all the benefit yours. So he just says, all who received him, Jesus. He gave the right. Now you have the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. Don't, for, don't, don't, don't forget those words, save them. From what? From our own sin. Because that is the disruption and we're born with that sinfulness in us. And yet we come to the point where that grace and that spirit of God brings it to us and he says, I have a plan, I have a purpose. Yes, you've gone a while and you've made some big messes. Yes, you have made some horrible decisions. Yes, there's a lot of brokenness in you and that you caused around you. But I want to tell you right now that my grace is more than sufficient and I will heal you. I will make you right. I will make you right with me. You just have to believe. You have to receive and believe. Second is to become like Christ. Get to know God. You got to just simply place your trust in him and become a Christian, a Christ follower. Somebody who says, I now know where I came from. And I now know where I'm going. Become like Christ. Romans 8, 28 to 29 says, Moreover, we know that to those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. That's an amazing statement. You've got to break it down. He didn't say some things. He said that, look, we know, he's saying, Moreover, we know that to those who love God, if you love God, and you receive Christ and that love is there, who are called according to his plan. You are called according to his plan. And so everything that happens now, what he's saying the good, the bad, the ugly, he's saying it doesn't matter what side of the ledger it's on, the credit, the debit, it doesn't matter. He's saying it all fits into a pattern for good. God in his foreknowledge chose them to bear the family likeness of his son. 
He's saying for those that are going to get to know God through Christ, receive Christ, he's saying, I want them to bear the family likeness of my son Jesus. That's a very interesting statement. So what is there else about this, how do I prepare? How do I prepare for eternity? If eternity is the big game and this is almost just the starting line, if that's the big game, how do I prepare? Well, you got to get to know God. You got to now become like Christ. And that means that you're going to go through some things in life. And when you go through tests and when you go through trials and you make bad mistakes and decisions and judgments or you make good ones, all of that goes into a way that God makes work for good. God doesn't hold anything against you on this and he won't. You have to hold on to the fact that God is in charge of shaping you. Christ in your life is working on making you like himself. He wants you to bear the family likeness of his son. That he might be the eldest of a family of many brothers. The idea here is, I want you to spend your life letting me work in your life. I want to do great work in your life. They sang that great chorus. Uh, Brenda wrote that one, but it's about God working in our life. That is what you do now. Now, a lot of people, they think, when, if you ask in, in, them in life, okay, what is better for you, wealth or poverty? Okay, if I asked you personally, and we could sit down and across from a table, and I ask you, okay, what is better for you, wealth or poverty? Well, your first answer is probably going to be wealth. Okay, so let's explore that. Do you think wealth has destroyed human souls in the history? Do you think wealth has the capacity to eat up your soul and leave nothing else for God? What about poverty? If you chose poverty, you'd think, oh, that seems like the right thing. But yet poverty can be a seedbed of sin in your life too because it can lead you to envy, to be jealous, it's not that one or the other is the magic formula. Paul said it best. He got it, he got it close. He says, I've learned to be content both in having lots and having not hardly anything. He's saying, in fact, I'm glad that you didn't give me all this or that you didn't, you know, put me way down here. He's talking about something that's very important. He's saying, for my spiritual health, for my spiritual life, God, you give me what's best for me. I trust your providence, God. I trust that you might not make me the wealthiest person in the world like Elon. I may not ever ascend to those kinds of heights. I may not have such wealth that I could be completely independent from so many trying circumstances. But I know that if you don't give it to me, you're going to give me what causes me to grow, to be like Jesus. If he gives you poverty and you find a struggle in life, and many people do, they find it hard. That can be something too, where he can use it in our life. Something that causes us to be dependent on him. And if you didn't have that condition, you might not actually have that kind of spiritual development in you. Sometimes we take faith and we use it only from a circumstantial point of view and not a spiritual point of view. Spiritual point of view has to do with our view of what God is doing in us. 
A circumstantial point of view is what circumstances we want changed. And often we're just focused on the circumstances. We end our evaluations on the circumstances. And we seek change. We say, God, change this, change this, change this. Job said, hey, should we only accept good things from God and not the evil? You think God's just going to bring you nothing and allow nothing but good and he's not going to allow you to be tested? Some of you are saying, hey, why was I born in the family I was born? Because it would cause you to grow. He wanted it. He wanted it. Why these kinds of things in your life? You take a look at it and you wonder, what is the reason? Why is this happening? Why do I have to go through this? That might be one of the greatest gifts in your life because these things have the power to shape us, to make us more like Christ. What about areas, if we go here, what about, what about a touchy area like health? What if we said, okay, you know, like you've got health or sickness? And you get sick, and you want the circumstance changed. And that's always where our prayers will go. But when it comes also, though, to the work of God in our life, that sickness might be the very thing that causes some growth in you that's really necessary, so you look a little bit more like Jesus. Have you ever been put flat on your back for three days, and you just kind of, you just caught that current flu or cold, and, and you get that... I don't know about you, but that just drives me nuts when that happens because I want to get moving, right? It's like, this is ridiculous. And yet you try to get moving and you last 15 minutes and you're back in bed. You get into that situation and you're fighting this thing rather than understanding that it's going to take three days for this to work it out, okay? And so you're saying, God, get me, running, get me back running again. Come on, give me the strength for today. And God is saying, I just want you on your back for a day. I want you on your back for three days. Because I want you to slow down. I want you to think about a few things. I want to do a little bit of shaping in you. I want to make you uncomfortable for a little while. See, God works in our discomfort as much as he can work in our comfort. That doesn't mean he's against your comfort or that he loves your discomfort. It means that he loves what he can do through whatever condition he is allowed into your life. I know that I have stood at the bedside of people that would never have come to Jesus Christ except that they faced the great critical facing of great health challenges. But it brought them to Jesus. It brought them to a place where they recognized that their life is not eternal within their own hands, that their life, they don't have control of everything. You see, we can't be so simplistic as to think that faith is there to change every circumstance. Faith is there to grow you to be like Jesus. And that's what his ultimate goal is going to be. And so whatever comes my way, I'm going to take it on. And I'm going to say, Lord, uh, you know, whatever purpose there is in this, I want to trust you to do your work in me. I want to allow that to happen. I want to recognize that this is a discomfort. And Lord, of course, I will pray that you will change this. I don't get the why of it. Of course, I'm looking for your touch. And make sure you do that. Make sure you're one that will pray for healing. But at the same time, your faith must exceed that prayer. It must go into a thing of trust that says your work is inside me. You become like Christ. So we get to know God. You become like Christ. And then you practice serving. In Ephesians 2, 10, it says, it is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? It is, it is God himself who has made us what we are. And then 
he's talking to Christians here, and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. He's saying, you want a point in life? You know what the point of life is? You know what the point of life is that I'm moving you from here to here or why I moved you from this job to this job or why you went through this kind of change or why I, 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 I wanted you to be actually be over here and not over here where you were headed. I wanted you over here. Do you know what the point of life is? The point of life is I wanted you around these people because I need you to serve them. And here's the group I'm leading you to serve right now. I want you here. I want you rubbing shoulders with this group. I want you over in this locale. I want you over here. God allows and even brings changes into our life so that we will be next to people to serve them that God has designed that, he had, that, that we should spend our lives helping others. And he, when we surrender our lives like that, he is going to take you through different things and he's going to change some groupings sometimes in your life because sometimes the groupings for you are all about comfort and not about serving. Ooh, that's a hard one. It is, that's a tough one, you know. I'm not saying don't have comfort or comfortable friends. But, you know, often God is trying to break into your little circle because he's got such a big circle out here waiting. They're thirsty, they're hungry, they're shaped right for what your message of life is. They're shaped right for your time and your journey of life. Have you ever thought about how intentional God is in these things? His intentionality in these things is absolutely huge. Linda and I, we talk about this quite often, how, you know what, we run into people all the time and, and have the surprises that come with that. And it's like, you know, you never know. But that was a God-designed moment. You know, I saw this person or I met this person today and it was, it was, this was a God-designed moment. This was, a, this was led. We're so aware of that. We've become so aware of that. That there are not these accidental just things. It's God. And as long as we're willing to have our circles enlarged and not live just by comfort. And I, I see it all the time. I, especially in Christians, by the way. We get our own little club. This is the four of us. That's it. And then we don't have any openness. And God is working out here and he's constantly created you to serve. To be a part of something very, very large. It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. You should be pushing God on this. Not him saying, come over here, come over here. It should be you saying, God, today... You've made me to serve others. Help me to spot the others when we're going through it, God. Help me to be aware of the others. Help me to really lock on to, to, to what's going on when, when I'm meeting these others. Or even if they're people that are familiar to me or unfamiliar, I just want to have that little knowing that this is something that you want me to serve in. He's got people to serve all this week ahead of you. That's not the question. The question is going to be how tight are your circles and are you willing to serve outside comfort. The last thing is make clear life's purpose to others. Once you've got into the purpose of God, then it's responsible for us to then share, this is what we're created for. Like, don't be ashamed of having clear purpose in life. You don't, you know, 
the questions that we're going to be covering as we go through, and this is just introductory to but for Ecclesiastes, a lot of people want to stay in Ecclesiastes because it sounds so intelligent. But you know where it leads you? To the conclusions he came to, which is everything is vain, it's empty. He's saying it's smoke and mirrors. Translations will say that. It's just smoke and mirrors. There's no meaning in it. There's no depth in it. And then he comes to the very end of the book. And then it's concluded this way. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and do what he commands you to do. Because fear is like love with God. Not the fear of I'm afraid. But this awesomeness that's birthed in love in our hearts growing in us towards him. The more that you have a genuine healthy fear of God, the more you love God. The more you are awed by the grace that you've received. The more that you are awed by just simply that his work has been in you and what he's doing in you and what he's doing through you. Very powerful. Listen to this scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, for God was in Christ restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. What is that wonderful message? Did you know that the idea of you began in eternity? Did you know that you have a soul, a gift from God? You're not just an accident. You're not random. Did you know that God has distinct purpose for your life? And so distinct is that purpose that he has, he's not going to fulfill it through a bunch of others. He has got something for you to be a part of for the rest of your life. And nobody will do it the way that you will do it because you are fitted to it. And then to know that 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 you can be literally be right with God. That every sin, every broken promise you've ever made, every kind of bad behavior you've ever done, God has more than enough grace because of Jesus Christ. He was God come to us in the flesh, God with us. He died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, we now have full-on right of, of relationship with God if we choose that. But that's just the beginning. That's the start line, not the finish. The start line to what? The point of life. So what is your point of life? Business. Recreation. Position. Influence, popularity. Or maybe you're the shrinking violet in the crowd and I just want to be in my little closet. My point of life is just surviving. A lot of that. What is your point of life? When it becomes Christ... All of these questions that we are going to be looking at have an end point. A point at which we can understand our formation and purpose. And understand that God has got some very special things to do in you and through you. And so I want to challenge you this morning to make sure that your life 
is in this kind of state of surrender because you're dealing with Almighty God who is serious about your life, so serious he put you in his mind before he made any of this. He's that serious about you. So serious, he knew that the, he, simply by creating you, he would have to send his son to rescue you. So serious, he knew that he would have to sit back as a loving father and watch your waywardness like the prodigal son. You know, the angels, it says, they don't get it, God's plan for man. It actually tells us this. The angels really don't get God's plan for man. Because they're sitting here in the holiness and the perfection of God and basically they don't get God's grace. They don't understand it. You're a wonder to the angels. Why would he spend time with you? Why would he come and die for you? Why would he... You're a wonder to the angels, but then you see, they've never done the deplorable things. But yet then they've never had that great shepherd Jesus come and carry them on his shoulders like he does you and bring you back to the fold. They don't get that. You do. You get God's great grace. We're going to be having communion to finish us. And in the light of that, I want you to focus on what this whole plan of God cost. He knew, from, there's nothing surprising about this whole thing. He was prepared. Jesus was prepared as the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb of God long before the world was created. The plan was made. In fact, Jesus, if you read Colossians 1, was the one that created the world. He's God. And he knew what he'd have to do in taking on flesh. That out of this trinity, the son would come. And he would be our sacrificial lamb. And out of that, there can be nothing more affirming of your value. That God himself who made you would not abandon you and he's not abandoning you today. If you're here today and you've never received God's grace, you've never received the Son of God, Jesus, into your life, he has not abandoned you. You're abandoning him and he calls you. He's out finding you. He loves you. He loves, he loves you, you know, the same or equally as he would love me. It's, it's not, he doesn't love on, on behavior. It's just given. But you have to respond to that. And if you'll accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive forgiveness of sin. You receive a full-blown opportunity now to live out the true purpose of your life. To know the point of your life. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that'll flush its way out in so many different ways. Would you stand with me, please? <clears throat> if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an invitation to make that decision today. And it really is just a decision of trust like we read earlier. It's very simple. 
It's just the idea that you can trust God, that he's done all the work, you get all the benefits. All you do have to do is put your faith in God's plan for you. And God's plan for you begins with Jesus. Because you need Jesus to make you right with God. His blood was shed on the cross because the, the, what we know is the wages of sin, it says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That transition happened at the cross. And it can be personally yours. But you have to accept Jesus Christ as your savior. You have to put your trust in Jesus. If, you're, if, if you don't do that, you're basically on your own. You're basically on your own. See, you are an eternal soul and you are gonna end up either serving, uh, either serving God for eternity or you're gonna end up uh, in what we call hell, which is not serving God for eternity. That is a truth. Jesus spoke about this so clearly. He can do no more because he has given you a sovereign will and he will not rob you of that sovereignty. And today, that choice can be made if you've never made it. It just simply says, we read the scripture earlier, but to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. All they needed to do was to trust him to save them. Are you willing to trust him to save you? He will give you eternal life with him in his family through Jesus. For those of us who have been believers a long time, it is very easy for us to step outside of the purpose of God and get trapped in the same old things. And we need to remind ourselves what life is really about. What is the point? What is the point? Once we know that and we stay clear, everything else lines up. It makes sense. Now I can go through tragedies even. I can go through loss. I can go through, I can go through things that I don't understand. I really can, I can go through that, but that's because I know that he has a plan and a purpose. Don't get stuck in life. Don't let it stick, stick you into that. You live strong. You live for the purpose that you're designed for. And that is to become like Jesus. Know God, become like Jesus and become somebody that serves. If you've never received Christ, let's bow our heads and uh, I would, if you're online too, you can do this. You just simply do what the scripture says. You just put your trust in Jesus that he will save you because he paid for your sins with his own death. Fathers, we bow our heads. I just pray that our hearts today will just reconnect with the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. I pray, Lord God, that as, uh, as we are going to take communion today, it will be in the spirit of knowing we know the point of life. The point of life is God. Service to God, love to God, love to others. And that God loves us. He made us to love us. We get it. But Father, there are those maybe here this morning that need to receive you. They've never received you. They've never accepted this great gift. They've never made this decision. I pray that, Lord, you would, Lord, just put a little bit of a, a little spark in their heart right now. So here's a little prayer you can borrow from me. If you're watching online, you can do this.
You just bow your head and just take a reverent moment. God will hear the prayer of your heart. He knows every thought of your heart. He knows everything about you. And here's a little prayer that you can just utter and say, God, to think that you made me and thought of me is amazing. To think that there was nothing made without, Lord, me in mind. I'm the reason. My life matters. You gave me a soul. I want to invite you into my life. I want this gap between us gone. I accept Jesus Christ as my savior. I believe he paid the price for my sins on the cross. And I want to live out the purpose that you have me on this planet for. That that love for you and love for others would carry me into the adventures of life. I receive you, Lord. I give you my life. Amen. That's your starting point. Welcome to the journey. Father, there's often times we struggle with value. The world tends to knock people down, devalue, only value what they deem valuable, which might be your, their positions, what they've achieved, uh, their gifts, their talents. It might be the beauty, the physical beauty. It might be, Lord, their ability to talk, their abilities to help them profit. But Lord, you value us because we are made in your image, a living soul. And your value was you came and you died for us. For that, Lord, I pray that there be many that would just find peace and value today. They would move out of the struggle of value and in confidence know that the love of God is sure and secure. And I pray that, Lord, that will bring a rest and a relaxation and then a response to surrender daily, become great servants of this great Lord. If you're here today and you've been really struggling with value, I mean, it's just been at you. As everybody leaves today, you just hang around a bit. I'm going to hang around the altar a bit. Love to have prayer with you. Because really, I want to confirm to you your value. So Father, bless each in this house today and all that watch. And may they sense this great love that you have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.